We're turning in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32 this morning. While you're turning there, I wanted to mention to you that uh, Iris Johnson, many of you know, uh, Iris will be celebrating her 91st birthday, Lord willing, this coming Friday. And um, it's kind of hard to talk to her on the phone. Her hearing is not very good. But I think it would be a great blessing for as many as would to send Iris a birthday card. And uh, if you have one of the church directories, her address is, is in there. Uh, but if you don't have it, I've got some slips of paper uh, with me, and I'll be glad to uh, give you that, and you can send Iris a card. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather here. And we pray that you would expose our hearts to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to return to our study of Israel's words to his firstborn son, Reuben. And what we have seen in our two previous messages is that what is said of Reuben in the context of what will befall him in the last days, remember that um, the last days, that is the context of Israel's words to his sons in Genesis chapter 49. He called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And so what is said of Reuben in the context of what his condition is going to be in the last days is a prophecy of what will befall those who are saved, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It'll tell us something about our condition in the last days. And what we have seen is that the condition of believers is summed up by Israel's words to Reuben in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 4. That he's unstable as water. Unstable as water. Water becomes unstable as a liquid when it becomes hot enough to change form to a gas becomes unstable as a liquid when it becomes cold enough to freeze. Hot and cold are the extremes of the unstableness of water. And we saw this hot and cold unstableness in Reuben's life. But last time we saw another, uh, what we might call an unstable characteristic of water that makes it unappealing. And that is when hot and cold mix. And what you have is lukewarmness, the very characteristic of the church of the last days that we read about in Revelation chapter 3. We saw this lukewarmness in Reuben's life here in Numbers chapter 32. God's plan, God's will for his people was for them to enter into their possession, their inheritance, the land of Canaan that had been given to them by God and into which they could enter because 
of the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb that delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And as we come to this chapter, nearly 40 years has passed since the children of Israel arrived at Kadesh Barnea and the spies were sent into the land and the people refused to go. They believed the report, the evil report of the uh, 10 spies who were sent in, by the way, one of those would have been from the tribe of Reuben. And nearly all that generation now has died out. And as we come to this chapter, we're very close to the time for the children of Israel to go in and possess the land of Canaan. And notice what we read in verse 1. Now the children of Reuben, he's listed first. The children of Reuben, I believe that means he's the leader. He is the founder of this idea that we will be reading about. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation. And in verse 3, they named these places there in the land of Jazer and Gilead. And in verse 4, or verse 5, they say, Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Here is Reuben and Gad, and we're going to learn that it's also the half-tribe of Manasseh. But our focus is Reuben because of the words of his father, Israel, concerning him in Genesis chapter 49. And because he's mentioned first here uh, when we first come across this plan. Here's Reuben stopping short of God's plan and God's will for his life. And he does it because he is governed by worldly considerations. He's governed and controlled by the sight of his eyes. Reuben is doing exactly what Lot did. And the comparison is very instructive between these two men. In Genesis 13 and verse 10 we read, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. This is exactly what Reuben is doing. Reuben lifted up his eyes and beheld the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. And so then Reuben chose him all of that land, the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and Reuben journeyed east. Now it doesn't say that here, but that is what he did. The children of Israel are headed west across the Jordan River, into the land of promise. 
But Reuben is headed in the opposite direction. He's headed east. And that's confirmed to us by what we read in Joshua chapter 12 and verse 1, that the other side of Jordan is toward the rising of the sun, east. And in Joshua 18 and verse 7, we read Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of, of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east. Reuben and these others did exactly what Lot did. They're governed by a love of the world. They're governed by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life with no regard for the will of God. If they had simply been looking to the Lord and His Word, they never would have stopped short of the Jordan River. They would have crossed it and they would have entered into all that the Lord had for them there. This will be the condition of believers in the last days. Believers who will be double-minded, hot and cold, lukewarm, up and down and everywhere in between. And James 1.8 says that a double-minded man is unstable, unstable in all his ways. Exactly what Israel prophesied concerning Reuben and the people of God in the last days. Unstable as water. Unstable as water. Double-minded. Wanting Christ and the world. Wanting God's will and their will and His plan and their plan. Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel. Reuben and these people were men of mixed principles. They were border dwellers. They were exactly what Paul described in Philippians 2 and verse 21, where he said, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. This is Reuben. And so their attitude of heart is, Bring us not over Jordan. Bring us not over Jordan. We don't want to be crucified with Christ and yet live. We don't want to have the attitude of heart, not I, but Christ which is what the crossing of the River Jordan is a picture of. We don't want to die daily. We don't want to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus. We don't want to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bring us not over Jordan. Some of the saddest words you'll ever read in the Word of God. Bring us not over Jordan. Last week in Numbers chapter 21, we talked about the order of salvation. Look and live. The fiery serpents had come in among the people. The Lord told Moses to take a serpent of brass, put it on the pole. When any man is bitten, if he'll look, he'll live. Look and live. That included the tribe of Reuben. Then in Titus chapter 2, Look and live the order of salvation. And then in Titus chapter 2, we saw that the order of the Christian life is live and look. That's the balance of the Christian life. Living in this world according to the word of God and obedience to him. Living in this world, but looking for the place that God has prepared for us. All Reuben is doing is living. 
His life is out of balance. He's just living, looking for a land that is great for cattle. He's not looking for what God has prepared for him. Be true of believers today. Believers who live unbalanced lives. Last time here in Numbers 32, we saw that Moses is not pleased with Reuben's plan. And he protests against it. In verse 6, he says, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? In verse 7, Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? And then in verses 8 through uh, 13, he gives the example of what they've already experienced when they came to Kadesh Barnea. And the people refused to go into the land. These uh, spies that went in there, they brought back this evil report and they discouraged the heart of the people. They didn't follow the Lord wholly as Caleb and Joshua did. And then in verse 14, Moses says, Ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men. Moses is protesting against what they wanted to do. And I believe this must have been particularly hard and frustrating for Moses. Think about something. Moses was a man who wanted to go into the promised land. He wanted to go. His heart was there. He longed to go there in person. But because of his disobedience back in Numbers chapter 20, when he was supposed to speak to the rock, the people were there in the wilderness. There was no water. That happened for the first time in Exodus chapter 17. And when that happened, the Lord told Moses to take your rod and smite the rock and water will come out. And Moses did that, and the water came. It's a picture there of the cross of Calvary, of the time when the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be smitten by the rod of God, by the judgment of God as he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that would open a fountain for sin. It would open a fountain and the invitation of God that whosoever will, Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And so when the children of Israel get into these circumstances again with no water, the Lord tells Moses, you speak to the rock. And that's very important. The rock had already been smitten. Folks, the Lord Jesus, this man, when offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. And so the rock did not need to be smitten again. It needed only to be spoken to. That's how people get saved today. When they come to the rock and they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They speak to the rock and the Lord Jesus says, come. Drink of the water of life freely. But Moses, in his anger, doesn't speak to the rock. He smites the rock. And not only was Moses to speak to the rock and the water would come out, Moses was to give the water to the congregation and their beasts. You remember what he said? Aaron and him came before the congregation and before the rock, and Moses said to the children of Israel, Hear now, ye rebels, 
must we fetch you water out of this rock? And he smote the rock. He didn't give the people water. They had to get it themselves. Their beasts had to, they had to water their own animals. And because of this disobedience, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I give them. So here's Moses who wants to go into the land but can't. And here is Reuben who could go into the promised land but won't. And so Moses has no patience for their plan. And we could sense something of his emotions here. I would suggest to you it's the same emotions that the Lord has toward his people. Toward you and me if we're saved. The Lord wants his people to enter into all that he has provided for them. Through his death on the cross of Calvary. Through his death and resurrection. The Lord wants his people to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants his people to be made conformable unto his death. But he can't. He will not force us to do that. He will not violate our free will. And so he looks at his children and he sees the blessedness of his will and the blessedness of his plan for their lives. But what does he see in us? He sees people who, like Reuben, could go into the land of promise. Could go into all that the Lord has for us. The Lord sees us who could enter into his will and his plan for our lives. But won't. But won't. And he's grieved because of our unstableness and because he knows we will not excel for his glory. And then the Lord is grieved like Moses because he has to listen to our plan. He has to listen to our plan. He has to listen to, for, for our desire that we have for him to bless. That's what happens here. Look at verse 16. And they came near unto him, that's Moses, and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle, cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. Now look at verse 19. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward. Because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Eastward. Notice those words. For we will not. We will not. Notice that they don't say, we cannot inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan. Reuben says, we will not. We will not. It's a matter of the will. It's a battle of the wills. Reuben and, and Gad and the half of the tribe of Manasseh will not submit their will to the will of God. 
They are determined to journey east just as Lot did. And for the same reason, the lust of the eyes. Lot saw the well-watered plain of Jordan and he said, that's where I want to be. And, and Reuben and these men see that the land of Jazer and Gilead is a land for cattle. And that's where they want to be. The lust of the eyes, the love of the world. Just the way that believers will be in the last days. And so Moses goes along with their plan. He does not violate their freedom to choose, just as the Lord will not violate our freedom to choose. He gives Reuben, and the Lord will give us our request. But he'll send leanness to our souls. And one of the ways that leanness manifests itself is in giving us over to the deception of our own heart. We see the deception of Reuben's heart here in verse 19. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side Jordan eastward. Folks, that last part of that verse, the whole verse, but particularly the last part, that, that statement at the end of the verse is the statement of a deceived heart. Their inheritance had not fallen to them on this side, Jordan. They, in their own will, took their inheritance on this side, Jordan. And now they've twisted their will around until now. It's what, in God, what God intended for them all along. Our inheritance has fallen out on, uh, over on this side of Jordan. Yours has fallen to you on the other side of Jordan. I'm okay. You're okay. What we find is that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they do what they said they would do. They do what they said in verse 17. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. We're going to leave our little ones. Our little ones are going to dwell on this side. Our little ones are going to dwell in these fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. You can't read this verse without noticing that. Our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Where had they left their little ones? On this side of Jordan. Where had they left their little ones? They left them short of where the Lord intended for them to be. The land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And for what? For what? A land that was good for cattle. That's exactly what believers in the last days will do. They will leave their children on this side of Jordan. They'll leave their children on this side of the will of God. They'll leave their children in the world. They'll leave them in a public school. Or they'll keep them out of the Christian school. And for what? For a land that is good for cattle. For a land that is conducive for my job. 
For a land that is conducive for the money that it pays, for a land that is conducive for the lifestyle that I want to live, for a land that is conducive for my plans and for the way I want things to be in my life. And what we end up doing is teaching our children to be double-minded, to stop on this side of Jordan, to be border dwellers. We teach them to seek their own. That's what's important, to seek your own. If that's on this side of Jordan, if that's on this side of the will of God, fine. What's important is to seek your own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in Reuben's children's lives in a moment. But before we do, we want to see, as we said, that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh do what they said. Look at Joshua chapter 4, if you will. Joshua chapter 4. And look at verse 11. Now it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over the river Jordan, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. They did exactly what they said they would do. Look at um, Joshua chapter 22. And the implication is that they stayed with the people. We're going to read that here. Joshua chapter 22 and verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day. So all of this time, the, the children of Israel are conquering the promised land. Reuben has been right there. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you into your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of Jordan. But take heed, take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Reuben and these others did what they said. They went over ready-armed before the children of Israel until they had brought them unto their place. And that looks good on the surface. But what we have to remember is that these people are not fighting for the Lord. They're fighting for themselves. They're, fight, they're not fighting for the Lord's will to be done. They're fighting for their will to be done so they could have their inheritance on this side of Jordan, on the east side. They were willing to do anything. 
including go to war and fight to make those words bring us not over Jordan a reality in their lives. And the message is that will be the attitude of heart of God's people in the last days. Willing to do anything, war and fight against the will of God to make those same words bring us not over Jordan a reality in their lives. Anything is preferable to death to self and being risen with Christ and seeking those things which are above, which again is what the river Jordan pictures to us. Anything is preferable to that. So we can carry out our will and our plan. And our plan is very simple. Bring us not over Jordan. But that's not all that we see in Joshua 22. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, the heading at the start of this chapter is the schismatic altar of Reuben and Gad. A schism is something that causes discord and dissension. And that's what this altar does. In verse 10, we read Reuben and, and uh, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're on their way to, back to the east side of Jordan. But as they go, we read in verse 10 that they build this great altar on the west side of Jordan. And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, verse 10, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh built an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. And the children of Israel heard about it. They gathered themselves together at Shiloh for war against them. But before they engaged the battle, they sent Phinehas the priest and, and ten princes with him out of the tribes of Israel to confront Reuben and Gad and, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they say to them in verse 16, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel? To turn away this day from following, in the, Lord, following the Lord, in that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. Folks, the rebellion of Reuben did not begin on this day. It didn't begin on this day with the building of this altar. It began eight years earlier when these men said, bring us not over Jordan. You see, the men of Israel think that they're building this altar for idolatry. And they say in verse 18, If ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. And notice what Phinehas and the ten princes say in verse 19. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Here's one more opportunity for Reuben and Gad and, and, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to turn around, to repent. Those words should have moved them because what they do not have on the other side of Jordan is the Lord's tabernacle. They don't have that. They don't have the place where the Lord met with His people. 
Reuben doesn't have it on the, on, on the east side of Jordan. The Lord's tabernacle is in the land of Canaan. That's the place where God wanted Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. But Reuben is not moved. He's not moved. His face is set. His mind is made. His will is exercised. And he says that this altar is not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice. You know, so many times believers, when they get over there on the east side of Jordan, the thing that leaves their lives is the Lord's tabernacle. The place where the Lord comes and meets with his people. That's what's missing when you're out of the will of the Lord. Oh, you might find an altar. But isn't it interesting that Reuben and they say, oh, no, 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 this is not a, an altar for burnt offering and sacrifice. This is not that kind of altar. Folks, the only kind of altar that means anything is an altar of sacrifice and burnt offering where we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. People on the east side of Jordan aren't interested in that. It's an altar of witness between us and you folks on the other side of Jordan. Notice Reuben's incredible explanation of why they're building this altar of witness. Look at verse 24. And if, ye, if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, this is why we've done this. This is why we built this altar. In time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? I find that to be a logical question. That's a very logical question that their children could have been asked. We're over here where the Lord wanted us, and you're over there. What do you have to do with the Lord? Verse 25. For the Lord hath made Jordan a... Listen to these words. For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. So this is their excuse. This is their excuse. Is we want to protect our children. We don't want our children to be persecuted. We don't want our children to be asked, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel in years to come? And those words there, for the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you know. No, 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 no. The Lord didn't do that. Reuben and Gad and Manasseh made Jordan a border between themselves and the children of Israel who were in the land of, uh, of Canaan. The, and ultimately, they made that as a, as a border between themselves and the Lord. Notice what Reuben says at the end of verse 25. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Folks, it's not the children of the ten tribes that obeyed the Lord and crossed over Jordan and dwelt in the land of Canaan as the Lord commanded them to. That's going to cause the children of Reuben and these others to cease from fearing the Lord. That is unstable thinking. It's the disobedience of Reuben. Bring us not over Jordan. 
We want to stay here on this side of Jordan because it's a place for cattle. That is what is going to teach their children to cease from fearing the Lord. You see how uh, the rebellious mind thinks? How the rebellious mind turned things around and, and exonerates itself from any fault. The problem here is not the tribes that were obedient. The problem is Reuben and these others who were disobedient. None of these events in chapter 22 from verse 10 on would have happened if Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh had just been obedient to the Lord and gone into the land of Canaan where he wanted them. But they wouldn't. And so all of this misunderstanding and confusion and discord and dissension was the result of one thing. The attitude of heart of Reuben, bring us not over Jordan. And that attitude of heart did teach their children to cease from fearing the Lord. Turn over, if you will, to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. It's now 150 years later. And in chapter 4, God has used Deborah and Barak to deliver Israel from Jabin, the king of Canaan, and from the captain of his host, a man by the name of Sisera. And in chapter 4 and verse 14, uh, we read, And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his host and the edge of the sword, with the edge of the sword, before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. And you remember the story here. He, he makes his way. He's trying to escape. Uh, Sisera is, and he makes his way to the tent of a lady by the name of Jael. And he's so tired, he goes in and lays down, and she takes a hammer and a tent spike, and she drives it through his temple and fastens it to the ground and kills him. So there's a great victory that's won for the Lord here, for the people of Israel. And we read about the tribes that took part in this battle. In chapter 4 and verse 6, we learn that it was Naphtali and Zebulun, and then in chapter 5, in the song of Deborah and Barak, in verses 14 and 15, we learn that it was the tribes of Ephraim and Benjamin and Maker. Maker is the other half of the tribe of Manasseh that entered into the land of Canaan and Issachar. So here are the tribes that took part in this great battle, in this great victory. But notice what we read in the last part of verse 15. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. Notice these words. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Notice we're told twice. We're told in verse 15 that Reuben had great thoughts of heart. 
He had great thoughts of heart about the battle. Reuben had great searchings of heart about the battle. But he didn't go to the battle. And the question of Deborah and Barak tells us what Reuben did. tells us why he didn't go to the battle. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds? That's where Reuben was in the day of the battle. And why was he there? To hear the bleedings of the flocks on the other side of Jordan, in the land of Jazer, in the land of Gilead that was a place for cattle and flocks and herds. And who we are reading about here is Reuben's children. You know, the ones that, that he thought and, and the, the tribe of Reuben thought back 150 years ago that, that they would be made to cease from fearing the Lord by those who were obedient to the Lord. But who is it that taught these children to cease from fearing the Lord? Who is it that taught these children that hearing the sound of the bleedings of the flock was more important than hearing the sound of war for the Lord? And going out to battle with his people. It was Reuben who taught his children this. This is the unstableness of Reuben. The lukewarmness of Reuben. Great thoughts of heart. Great searchings of heart. But abiding among the sheepfolds. To hear the noise that was more important than anything else in the land that was... Good for cattle and flocks and herds to hear the bleedings of the flock. This is the way that believers will be in the last days. Christian soldiers who have great thoughts of heart, great searchings of heart, they love to sit in their churches, they love to sit in their schools and, and, and talk about the enemy. But when the real conflict against the devil and the powers of darkness breaks out, they abide among the sheepfolds. They abide where and doing what is important to them. And what we're reading about started 150 years earlier when Reuben said, bring us not over Jordan. Folks, if we're saved today, where are we? Are we on the east side of Jordan doing our will, living out our plan for our life? Are we on the west side of Jordan, in the place of obedience, crucified with Christ, seeking those things which are above, not conformed to this world, but transformed as we present our body a living sacrifice, transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. The, simple, the, the, the question is very simple for the believer. East side or west side? East side of Jordan doing our own will. West side of Jordan doing your will. We pray that we would consider these things today and we ask it in Jesus' name.